Good morning again. Well, I am, I'm excited because today we're starting the series that is going to lead us through the fall. And this series is called Y'all. And it's got this helpful subtitle. When the Bible says you, it often means y'all. So for the next, honestly, five weeks, seven weeks, something like that, we're going to kind of see how long this series takes us to get through. Um, we are going to be talking about what does it mean to be part of the church? What does it mean to be part of God's community and God's people? Um, what does it mean for me as an individual? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for my, my role in the world? What does it mean for my burdens? What does it mean for my gifting? What does it mean to live as part of God's people? So today, uh, this might be a little bit different, maybe a little bit dense, because today I have the job of really defining what the church is and how we interact with the church as a baseline. So we've got kind of a lot to cover. We've got a big task today. Um, But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up there. Ephesians chapter 2. While you're turning there, Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was the first missionary or church planter, church starter, Um, as we would think of it today, and he would often write letters to churches that he had planted or churches that he had in some way assisted with, and he would write them letters of instruction. Ephesians was written to a church in a city called Ephesus, and it's generally assumed that this Uh, This letter was not really restricted to Ephesus, but it was a very general letter that would have been passed around to all of the churches in the surrounding area. So a way you can think of the book of Ephesians is as kind of the basics. If you were like going from zero to following Jesus and you wanted to know a baseline of what it looks like, Ephesians is a really good place to start. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved." And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, before we pray, I said we've got kind of a lot to cover today. It's going to be kind of dense. So I want to put the big idea up on the screen because everything we talk about today is going to revolve around one idea. I don't do this very often. Technically, when you preach, you're supposed to save the big idea for the end, but I'm giving it to you in the beginning, and I'm just going to ask that you don't check out for the next 30 minutes because you already got the big idea. Sound good? This is going to be up on the screen. This is where we're going today. The church is a gift community. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We are here for your word. We are here for your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to dedicate a child. We thank you for the opportunity to sing your truth. And God, today as we examine your word, we ask that what is from you 
would echo in our hearts, that anything that's from me, that's just my ideas, that it would be noticed and rejected. We're here for you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So I want to ask you a question, and this question needs some interaction. Does that sound good? All right, that was not a good start. <laughs> Does that sound good? Yes. Hey, perfect. All right, so I'm going to ask you a question, and you can just kind of shout out whatever your answer is. Okay, we'll figure out who the extroverts are in the room. Um, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Garbage man? Paleontologist? Wait, I, okay, I heard garbage man, I heard paleontologist. What else? Philanthropist? Okay, nice. That's a big goal. Wow. Uh, what else? What else? Anybody else? Firefighter? Okay, I heard something in the back, I think. Firefighter. Okay, we got a couple firefighters. Anything else? Mom? Okay. Not epidemiologist? Nice. I don't know what that is, but awesome. <laughs> Jedi? Nice. Nice. Not necessarily within the realm of possibility, but a very cool goal. You know, aim high. Shoot for the moon, you'll hit the stars, or whatever they put on pillows. Uh, you might not find this surprising. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a cowboy. I really wanted to be a cowboy. I wanted to be a cowboy so bad. Now, as you can see, that did not work out. I round up no doggies. That doesn't happen. Um, specifically, I wanted to be a cowboy in movies. I wanted to be a cowboy actor because then you get all of the action, none of the risk of death, right? <laughs> like that seemed like the ideal, you know, I was, actually you could get more girls as a movie star too because you're not just around cows all the time. It seemed like a great gig but just to pretend to be a cowboy. Um, that didn't work out, obviously. Um, later on in life, I thought maybe skateboarding would be part of my career. Um, I wasn't good at it though. <laughs> um, and it turns out to be professional is something you've got to be good at it. Uh, so that didn't work out either. And it's interesting to me that that is a question that at least in America you could ask almost any kid and they've probably been asked it before and they know how to answer it. If you go to almost any kid and you say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? They might not have a good idea of what's realistically possible, but they know how to answer that question. They know how to imagine a future of endless possibilities. If you go and ask any adult that same question, there's a good chance they've been asked. Just like in this room, I can ask that question to you and almost everybody has an answer of what they wanted to be when they grew up when they were a kid. It's interesting that something is so ingrained in our culture that it's normal. We all know at a basic level what that question means, but if you would have asked that question 200 years ago or 500 years ago, that question, that idea would have been completely foreign. Because for most of human history, the idea of wanting to be something when you grew up was pretty uncommon. If you go back 100 years ago, the options would have been extremely limited. They would have been driven by the needs in your community. You would have been able to be something that someone needed enough for you to get paid for. You might have been able to be something that your nation needed or that your town needed. Most likely, unless your family had significant resources that set you apart from other families so that you could potentially go to college or something like that, most people, what they wanted to be when they grew up was whatever their parents were because that was the option. If you go back even farther than that, then what you find is that what you wanted to be was whatever was necessary for survival. 
If your family was farmers, they, they needed food, so they would farm. If you were in a hunting community, your family hunted. If you go into even primary cultures around the world, like ancient Rome, which was the empire that the city of Ephesus from Ephesians existed in, then you would have seen a world where there were lots of options for careers, but society was divided by class, heavily divided by class. So if you were born into a lower class, your options for what you wanted to be when you grew up were completely limited because it was very hard to change your status in society. If you look at tribes, towns, villages that have existed all over the world, then what you see is that what people became when they grew up was largely part of their community. That's what they became. They became part of the world around them. They did what was needed for survival. For most of human history, our future and our identity has been inseparably linked to the relational network we're in, to our community. What you are and what you will be was distinctly tied to community. Now, we live in a world where that's not necessarily true. And there's a temptation here to just kind of dog on modern culture and talk about how bad individualism and all that kind of stuff. Individualism, the reality of our world today, has a lot of wonderful options. I am really happy that my son someday will decide whether he wants to go to college or not. That he'll decide what he wants to major in if he does, or go to a trade school or something like that. I'm excited that he'll have options. As of right now, if you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up, he says, a daddy and a hunter. Which is adorable, I know. Um, also, it either means I'm doing a great job or it means he thinks, ah, I could do that. <laughs> Who knows? Time will tell. <laughs> um, we live in a world where when we think about our future, we as individuals are the lens that we first imagine that through. We imagine what am I good at? What do I want? What do I experience? What do I want to experience? That has not been historically true of humans. And it wasn't true of the original culture of scripture. This is really important to understand because what we're talking about is a primary cultural difference that is a bridge we have to cross when we're understanding scripture. The Bible assumes that it is writing to a community. One more time. The Bible assumes that its hearers are part of a community. In other words, when the Bible says you, it often means y'all. When the Bible is talking about you, we understand the English word you can be singular or plural, but oftentimes when we see the English word you, this southern colloquialism is super helpful to us because it changes that word into plural and helps us understand it. Every book of the Bible was written to a community. Even if that book was written to an individual, it was to be used in community. In fact, most of the books of the Bible were written to a specific community, but then they would have been shared broadly with any community that they could give it to. It was assumed that the Bible would be read by a group of people. 
that it would be obeyed by a group of people, that it would be interpreted within a group of people, that there would be a community, a network of relationships that forms the reality of the readers of Scripture. This is a basic assumption of Scripture, and it's actually a basic assumption of humanity. It goes all the way back to Genesis, when God looks at the human and he says, it's not good for the human to be alone. I will make a helper suitable. And God creates community. In fact, scripture in Genesis says we are made in the image of God. There's this really strange thing in Genesis chapter 1 where God, who is one God, says let us make humanity in our image. Which is the foundational idea for our Christian belief in the Trinity. That God is one being eternally existing in three persons. That God actually eternally exists in perfect community and humans were made to exist in community. The Bible assumes that it will be read by a community, it will be obeyed within a community, and that it can only be obeyed within a community. So I want to be very careful with what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. I am not implying that you have to have a church to be saved. That's not what I'm saying. Salvation does not come through the church. Okay? I am not saying that you have to just take out and out anything that a church teaches or says. Because there are very good reasons to leave a church. If a church is unhealthy, if a church is teaching incorrect foundational doctrine, if a church is, uh, is, has abusive leadership, all of these things are wonderful reasons to lead a church, leave a church. There are good reasons to leave a church. But what I am saying is that though we can be saved through only the work of Jesus on the cross, if we want to be people who follow Jesus in this life, that is all but impossible without community. Because viewing scripture through the lens of community is the only way to view it accurately. If I view scripture through the lens of only myself as an individual, then I will be inevitably missing a basic claim of scripture. Now, this is a hard thing to understand because it's so common for us to view our lives as individual, as differentiated from the world around us. It's so common. It is our first instinct for us to look at our lives, our goals, our futures as separate things that we may or may not choose to connect. We, we view the world through individual lens. So here's a helpful thing for us to do. First off, you could take this passage of scripture and you could replace the yous with y'all and it will help us get there. As for y'all, y'all were dead in your transgressions and sins in which y'all used to live when y'all followed the ways of this world. Do you see that? He's not talking to you, he's talking to us. Does that make sense? Do you see how helpful that is? Because when God says you were dead, the spotlight's not on you, it's on y'all. Do you see that? We as a community have fallen short. We as a community are deeply loved. But there's something else that will help us get our minds around this difference in scripture. If I read for you today, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions or sins, our modern personalities are likely to interpret that as, as for me, I was dead in my sins. That's the way we're going to receive this. 
in the ancient world, it is much more likely that the original readers would have thought, as for us, we are dead in our sins when they read it. So if I were to come to a church today and I were to say, you can find freedom in Christ, our natural reaction would be to think, I can find freedom in Christ. But in the ancient world, and the intent of scripture would have been, we can find freedom in Christ. If I were to preach on a specific sin and say that through surrender to the Holy Spirit, you can find victory over this sin, we would think, I can find victory. But scripture would imply, we can find victory. Does that make sense? In other words, what I'm saying is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have people. It's baked in. By definition, you have people. The problem is that we have this, and this is one of the unique problems to our culture. Like I said, our culture has positives and negatives. There are wonderful things about our culture, and there are dangerous things about our culture. That was true of the ancient world. It's true of our world today. One of the dangers of our culture is that we view scripture, we view following Jesus, and then by extension, we view church community through the lens of individuals through the lens of ourselves as an individual, which means we are less likely to see following Jesus as being part of a community, and we are more likely to see following Jesus as being a consumer or a customer, which means we are more likely to think that we exchange something to receive a product. A customer is not part of a community, they receive something that that community creates. Do you see the difference between that? A customer doesn't receive the gift unless they pay for it. But a part of the community is part of the gift by definition. Someone who's part of the community does not exchange something for their place in the community because they are part of the community. Do you see what I'm implying here? It's very, very easy for us to imagine that following Jesus is consuming something, that we piece together our perspective of what following Jesus is, or that we find a product that works for us for a season, and then whenever we're ready, we move on to the next product. Once again, I am not saying that it's wrong to leave a church. There are wonderful reasons to leave a church. What I'm saying is church isn't a product. Church is a community. So when, something, when there's something we don't like, then being part of a community, rather than saying, I'm going to find one I do, being part of a community should cause us to ask, why don't I like that? I wonder what's going on. And then it would cause us to ask, am I wrong or is the community wrong? And if I'm wrong, then I would move in correction towards the community. And if the community's wrong, then because I'm part of the community, I would seek to see that changed in the community. Do you see the difference? I'm not a customer. If I'm a customer, then I can change brands. But I'm part of the community. Now, this is the part of the sermon where it would be easy for me to kind of give like a sales pitch of community, <laughs> um, which would be the opposite of explaining community because I just said you're not a customer. I don't want you to buy something. And here's the thing. Most of us don't need it explained to us the dangers of being individualistic. Most of us have experienced loneliness. We've experienced all of that kind of stuff. You don't need me to explain it to you. So here's what I'm going to tell you today. This is kind of the opposite of probably what I should be doing. But I can imagine why somebody would choose not to engage in community. That makes a lot of sense to me. It is way easier to be a customer. 
Like, I, I'm just, I'm leveling with you. I've been part of church my whole life. It is way easier to be a customer. It is hard to be part of a community. When you are part of a community, your life is intertwined with the lives of other people, which means when things go wrong for them, they go wrong for you. When you are part of a community, yes, other people share your burdens, but you have to share their burdens too. When you're part of a community, you are deeply interruptible. (laughs) People can call you when they need something. That's being part of a community. When you're part of a community, you can't point at the community and say, this is wrong without saying we are wrong because you're part of the community, right? Which for the record, uh, this is not in my notes or anything like that, but as millennials, as millennial Christians, we have done a really good job of saying like, something's wrong with the community and not saying we are part of the church. (laughs) Whoops, we should repent too. When you're part of a community, it's complicated. When you're part of a community, other people get to hold you accountable. When you're part of a community, you might get confronted about something. When you're part of a community, you might have to change your mind about something, something you don't want to change your mind about. When you're part of a community, you might have to come in line with the teachings of the community. And once again, I want to be careful with what I'm saying, because being part of a community does not mean uniformity, but it means that there is a central unity on the things of Jesus, right? There is room for disagreement, That's why we have denominations. Some people hate denominations. I think that there are a lot of people who disagree that are getting into heaven because if God would have wanted it more more clear, he would have made it more clear. There's room for some disagreement in a community. We don't need uniformity to have unity, but it means we are centered around the basics of following Jesus, and sometimes we have to change our mind about things, things around orthodoxy, coming into the belief of the church. Being part of a community is hard. It is hard work, it is difficult, it is uncomfortable. It involves knowing your own pains while you celebrate someone else's victories. It involves knowing your victories while you mourn someone else's loss. It means that all of your grief is dappled with celebration and all of your celebration is dappled with grief as your lives are intertwined together. Being part of a community is different. But when the Bible says you, it means y'all. And if we are to be people who follow Jesus, it means we are to be people who are part of a community. If you read this entire passage and you replace the yous with y'all, you'll see what I mean. It's written to us. Now, there's something else I have to carefully define here. And this is one of the dangers we have to mention about our kind of consumer or customer mentality. And it is that when you're a customer, you have to pay to play. You, you, you have to pay for your place. You, you exchange something to get what you receive. And this invades our faith in this way. We'll hear a sermon about a sin and we'll think, oh my gosh, I've got to get that taken care of if I want to stay here. Oh my, that, that man, I don't... I don't, I don't even know how to obey in that area. I guess I better, I better get myself together if I want to be part of this community, which is pay to play. You see what I mean? It's saying this is a product, and I, ha- I have to earn the product. But in these verses that we read, Paul goes into excruciating detail to tell you that we are not just a community, we're a gift community. You are not part of the community by your works. 
You are not saved by your works. You are saved by the grace of God. It is the gift of God. And for it to be a gift, you can't be a customer. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's given to you. Which means when we understand that we are part of a community as followers of Jesus, when we hear a sermon about a sin and we're like, I don't know how to obey that, I, I don't know how to figure that out, then rather than saying, I better figure this out if I want to stay, we say, I'm here, I've got people, let's figure this out together. Do you see the difference? Because your place in the community is a gift. It's a gift given by God because we don't earn the place, right? We don't pay to play. But also, the community is a gift community, which means we participate in the gift. As a gift community, we are people who give and receive the gift of Jesus. Why? Because it is good and it is worth receiving and it's worth giving. Now, when you hear gift community, you might be familiar with the term gift economy. And I want to be careful to differentiate these things. Because a gift economy is something that's often equated with the kingdom of God, but I don't think it applies very well. Because in a gift economy, um, what it means is that the community works based on an exchange of gifts. So if I help you fix your car then there is an assumption that you will give me something that is commensurate to my gift to you. Does that make sense? The community works on obligation of gift. We're not a gift economy. We're a gift community, which means the gift is given freely. Here's what that means. If you never tithe, you still get free counseling in our community. If you never serve, you can still be part of a fold group because the gift is given free. If... You do not pay to play in the community of God's people. If you consistently struggle with sin and you never overcome it, and even if you never put any real effort into overcoming it, then we will still welcome you as part of the community. Does that make sense? You don't pay to play here. The gift is free. And we give the gift away because it's free. We do not give the gift away out of obligation. We don't give the gift away so that we can keep receiving it. We give it away because it's good, and it's good to give it away. See, that's why Paul, at the end of this verse, he goes to all of this work to make sure that we know that it is freely given to us. It's by grace we are saved through faith. And then he says, but you are God's handiwork. The Greek word is poema, where we get the English word poem. You are God's creativity. You are God's masterpiece created from before time to do good works. You receive the gift and you give the gift because we participate in the community. In other words, we as an individual church and we as the collective church, we make sure that the healing and wholeness of Jesus is available to the people of Greenville. Does that make sense? We don't show up just to receive it. We receive it and we give it. We do not give it so we can receive it. We receive it and we give it both freely. We refuse to create a tension and we refuse to create a barter system in the grace of God. We receive it freely and we give it freely. Does that make sense? Are we on the same page here? I want to make sure that this is clear because this is foundational to what it means to follow Jesus. So this is, this is how I'm going to close. I'm borrowing an analogy here from probably a hundred other pastors. I didn't come up with this. But if you, if you were to drive on a country road at night, you would notice that there are ditches on each side of the road, right? You would also notice that when that George Strait comes on and you start singing along and you start drifting towards that ditch because you're not paying attention, you know what I mean? 
like it's easy to drift towards the ditch without being careful and intentional. Make sense? We also know that when you notice yourself drifting towards the ditch, it's really easy to overcorrect and steer to the other side and wind up going straight towards the other ditch. This is a helpful analogy because Jesus is usually in the middle. Humans are usually in the extremes. In our life as followers of Jesus, we get pulled towards the ditches and we have to be careful to not drift towards the ditches and to not overcorrect in anger or frustration and wind up in the other ditch. That makes sense? We are a gift community, which means we receive and we give the gift of Jesus to the world. The two ditches that threaten us are on this side. There's this ditch that I would say if you grew up like in the south in the Bible Belt, very evangelical, a lot of wonderful things about that. But the di- you might find yourself in this ditch. And that ditch is that you feel like the only reason God loves you is so you can love other people. Is that you feel like the only reason God has given you a gift is so you can give it away. You feel like uh, the only reason why God has given you anything is so you can use it for the world around you. And listen, it's wonderful to be generous. We absolutely do have a mission. Both of these ditches are connected to the road. But what you wind up is burnt out and exhausted trying to give something away that you've never received. You wind up feeling guilty for like eating a nice meal because there are people that are hungry. You wind up feeling guilty for going on vacation with your family because you should be going on a missions trip. You wind up letting guilt and shame motivate you. Listen, there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful followers of Jesus who are doing everything in their power to faithfully follow him and they are burdened by guilt and shame and they are exhausted because they've lived their life in this ditch where they feel like the gift isn't for them, it's through them. The other ditch, and this is where I would say all of us millennials who know our Enneagram number and are really into like, you know, getting healthy and all of this stuff, this is our ditch. And in this ditch, man, we love the healing and wholeness of Jesus. We, we have people who keep us accountable and, you know, we, we're doing all of the right things. We're going to counseling and we're, you know, identifying our lies and wounds and we're walking in wholeness and all of that is wonderful. That's a good, beautiful thing. But we forget that the gift has to be given away and we wind up with what you might call a gluttonous faith where we receive and we receive and we receive, but we forget that the free gift we receive is also a free gift for other people. And we don't give it away. We participate in half of the community. Are we on the same page here? Because you are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. And you are God's handiwork with good works created for you to do from before time. You have a gift to give to the world. For as much as you have received healing and wholeness, home, family, and purpose by being part of a community like the Fold, you are invited to give that away because the reality is that there are people in the world who just do not know that Jesus is inviting them into healing and wholeness. They do not know that they have home, family, and purpose. They wonder why they keep cycling in the same things in life, and it's because they haven't realized that sin is toxic and it's killing them, and God wants to forgive them and set them free. So we live in the road where we say, I received the gift because it's good. God wants me to have it, and I don't have to feel guilty about that. I love that God loves me and takes care of me and shows me favor and blesses me, and I give that away. 
because it's good to do and because God loves other people and because it's part of the mission in the world. And God says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we are a gift community. Are we on the same page? We are a gift community, which means we participate in the community. We receive it and we give it. The gift is to us. It is for us. And it is for the world through us. All of those things are true and they do not conflict with one another. We are a gift community. So as we close in worship, I want to give you two questions to consider. The first is this. Are you a customer or are you part of the community? And let me give you this caveat. It's the same caveat we give anytime we talk about money or tithing or anything like that. It's like if you're coming to the fold and you just don't feel like the fold is a place that you can be part of the community, then listen, I want you here. But find a place you can be part of the community. Don't come here because you feel guilty. Does that make sense? All right. You need to be part of a community. And I believe that that's here. But if you're like, man, I just, I can't figure it out here, then find a place where you can have, you can be part of the community and not a customer. So the question is, are you a customer or are you part of the community? And here's the second question to ask. Which ditch do you find yourself drifting towards? Do you find yourself exhausted and burnt out because you can't believe that Jesus just wants good stuff for you because he loves you? Or do you find yourself so focused on what God has done for you that you're forgetting to give it away? So those are the two questions to consider as we close in worship. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we know that you love us. God, we know that you love us as individuals and as a community, that those are not conflicting ideas to you. God, I ask that you would teach us to be part of your people. That we would see the gift that you give us and the gift that we get to give away. For those of us who feel guilty and ashamed to use or celebrate or receive any good thing, may we be overwhelmed by your abundant love for us and the joy you take in our joy. And for those of us who have an easy time receiving and a hard time giving, may we see clearly your abundant generosity and all of the things you give away. And may that compel us to give the gift of your love to the world around us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.